Um, we also, wait, hold on. Is that better? Is that more on? You just missed it. I said I liked y'all, but I knew of you. Um, and we love Ted. Ted has ministered to our church for years, I guess, really now. And uh, we've been here, I've been in Joplin for 11 years. I think Ted has probably preached every one of those 11 years at one point or another. So Ted is a dear friend of mine, and I'm so happy for what the Lord is doing with you guys and, and here uh, with the building and with this community and all that. So it's really exciting um, to finally get to be here. So uh, what we're doing in our church, I'm just... I preached this this morning. I'm going to preach it again. Um, everybody liked it in Christ the King. So I wasn't going to do this, but it just kind of ended up. I, we're going through Jonah at, at our church. And I picked it because it's summer and nobody comes to church on, in summer. I mean, they, they do here, I guess, in church, but not in Joplin. And, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to have fun. And no one's going to be there. I'm going to have fun at least. And, 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 I, and I love the literary aspect of Jonah, and I love all the things that, that kind of the moving parts and the fun repetitions, and just what a cool book. And it has gutted me to a core um, this summer, which was not intended. And, and so, I, I mean, I, like, it is going to be a really personal sermon. Um, I don't usually, like, kind of all confess during the sermon, but... But what we're going to talk about, I'm, I'm convinced that you need to see more than just hear. I know that as God has worked on me, it's only when I've seen it um, that I truly kind of understand what's going on. Um, and that brings us to Jonah, which let me just kind of summarize. If you don't know it, it, it um, everybody kind of knows the Jonah story. But Jonah is a prophet. God says to go to Nineveh, and he's like, no way. In fact... I'm going to go the opposite way. I'm going to get on a boat. He's going to go that way. A big storm comes. He said he doesn't say this, but it's kind of implied. I would rather die than than do what you're telling me to do. So throw me off the boat. And come to find out, there's great fish waiting for him. Picks him up, takes him to the to the land, vomits him onto the land, um, and then. But in the midst of that that fish, he actually writes a fantastic psalm. That where he relies on God's grace and mercy that he won't share with anybody else. It's kind of interesting and funny if you ever struggle with being a hypocrite. Um, and, and it will resonate. You'll be like, oh yeah, okay, I do that too. So then he gets vomited out and he ends up, he goes into Nineveh, he starts preaching, and he preaches that God's going to overturn the city. And lo and behold, I mean, the city like totally starts to believe. And, and, and he is really upset about it, actually. He's the only prophet I know of. I don't, I've read all the prophets. I don't think I've ever noticed for some, everything went right for him. And he gets really upset about it. And then he ends up on this kind of overlooking the city, kind of this, I always picture him on a hill. And there's this weird plant and then a worm and the sun and all this stuff. And so he kind of goes toe-to-toe with God over that. And so where we are in that in our church is, is that we're, we're at right after the city, right after, thing, right after everything's going really well, there, there's just this, this poetic scene, like super like bad, like hard poem, not sweet poem. There's this, this really poetic scene of, of Nineveh believing and Nineveh crying out to God and Nineveh, like, like everything happening the way that every prophet and preacher and Christian and everybody ever wanted it to go. 
And Jonah ready to die because he would rather he, he just he would rather die than watch it go that way. And part of that is because it's the Assyrians. Nineveh is an Assyrian. If you read very like the one place that Jonah is mentioned in 2 Kings, like two chapters later, the Assyrians destroy Israel. So, like, I mean, I kind of, I can get it. I understand why you wouldn't want it to go well in Nineveh. But at the same time, there's just this amazing kind of image I have of, of and it's in the passage as well, but there's this image of, of just a crusty old prophet that can't even enjoy the fruit of his labor. And so I'm going to read that little section. It's in, it will start in Jonah 3. I'm not going to spend a lot of time kind of going through the passage because, again, I think this is, this is kind of more um, impressionistic a little bit. It's, it's just kind of that image is what I want to preach on. I think it's, it's throughout literally the New Testament, that image. So I, I, and we're going to be on this solid biblical ground, but we are going to refer a lot to the text. So I'm just going to read it, um, and it's, we'll, we'll, we will start with Jonah 3, verse 6, and we'll go through chapter 4, verse 5. And so um, let's pray, and then we'll study the Lord's Word. Father, I thank you that you are a God that speaks, and I thank you in advance for the things that you're about to say. I pray that we would be willing to hear them and that we would trust you with our life. And, and with the things that we hold dear in this life. I pray that you would give us your presence, that we would not be here to learn, but that we would be here to know and to experience the power of Almighty God through the preaching of your word. And so be, um, stay with us and don't leave us alone. So please speak um, to us now through your Holy Spirit. Send your Holy Spirit with authority. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So hear the word of the Lord from Jonah chapter 3. Uh, again, I'll start in verse 6. And he's already preached that, that you have 40 days and it will be overthrown. And it says in verse 6, the, Lord, the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a, pro a proclamation and published throughout through Nineveh by the decree of the king and the nobles. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw that they, what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented from the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this 
what I said when I was yet in my country, that that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. So, I didn't have... I don't have to reach far back in my life to understand some of Jonah's struggles. Um, Friday is, is, I mean, and that's probably being generous, but Friday is the one I remember. I have to go all the way back to Friday to, to, to experience and to understand this very thing. Uh, I came in, I like, it's been a crazy week, and so I, I hadn't really worked on my sermon much. I, I was coming in to, to study this passage and to like I had done a little bit before. We're not just always doing stuff on Fridays. But it was a Friday-type week. And so I, I literally get in my office. I set my stuff down. And I have a big envelope. And I open it. And I didn't really see who it was. I get a lot of junk mail. You know how it is. And I open it up. And there's, there's a picture, like a poster, like a, like a band poster. And it said that Matthew Smith and Indelible Grace were coming somewhere. It, it had like times and ticket prices and all that. And I'm just, do you, are you familiar with Matthew Smith and Indelible Grace? Like, y'all probably seen a lot of their music. It's, Indelible Grace is like a conglomerate of artists. It's not really like one band. But it, it started in our denomination um, back in Nashville years and years and years ago. I, I was introduced to them in like 1999 or 2000 when I knew a lot of y'all. And so they, they were, um, they're instrumental in, in kind of reshaping hymns and just really cool stuff. And so I was like, oh my goodness, they're going to be somewhere near. Like my church will want to know that and we'll want to go to that. We'll want to mark our calendars. And so I look back on the, the, the address thing. And this won't mean as much to you as it did to me and to my church when I told them this morning. Um, but it said, St. Paul's United and that, that's where I stopped reading. Because if, if Joplin, I don't, you've got one. And I'm going to like, be real honest. This is a very honest sermon. We're just going to be honest together. You've got one. St. Paul's United Methodist Church in Joplin. Now, it, there's, they do really good stuff, awesome stuff. God's using them, blah, blah, blah. Um, they are the church that has, like, the guy will lead worship and have, like, rhinestones on his, like, guitar strap. And, I mean, it's just, they have, like, a, they literally, the pastor was telling me about this, telling me about this, excited that they were doing this. Had a screen up there that people were live tweeting about the sermon as he preached. Now, in being a PCA church, there is no way in the world, I'm assuming y'all are cynical and mean-spirited than some of my people. I would never let anyone have access to anything that I was saying um, up there. So there's that, right? I'm too smart for that. They're not, Methodists are way nicer than we are, I guess. But, but like, what a joke. Can I just be honest? As a pastor, it's like, what a joke. 
And indelible grace is going to go there. Now, it's, it ended up being United, St. Paul's United Church of Christ somewhere in Iowa or Illinois or something. So, I mean, like, I was, but I was, it took me about five minutes, like, no kidding, five minutes, not five seconds and I'm expanding. I mean, five minutes to get over enough of my own sin and frustration and anger and all of these other things to even realize that it wasn't the church I was thinking it was. Because indelible grace belongs to me. Like they, I discovered them almost 20 years ago. And now they're like all that and they're going to come to Joplin and they're not going to come to the PCA church that has been playing their music and investing in their ministry and buying their CDs. They're going to go to a bunch of people that wear rhinestones? Are you kidding me? Like right? I mean, this Friday, right? Like that's that's where Jonah is. I mean, this is this is everywhere. We this is this week. And I couldn't say this in Joplin, but but it's what you get when you're leaving your town. You say everything. I have, I have two, two families in our church that are leaving our church to go plant another church. It's going to be great. I'm so happy for them. We're praying for them. But I but these two people have been very disgruntled with our church. Well, not very. They're, they've been awesome. They've been great. But they really not felt like. They, that we were like it for them. And the main two reasons is one, we were too liturgical, and two, we were too simple. We just didn't have a lot of property. And I'm not kidding you. This week, I got two emails. One from each person that said, hey, by the way, we're thinking through our new structure of our new service, and we're, this is what we found. And it was a, it's gonna, and, and it was a, from a different denomination, and, and they sent it to me, and it was like our worship service. And they're like, we've discovered this like deeply ancient biblical. And I'm like, it's Christ the King in Joplin. Where have you been? Right? Like, and they're like, oh man, it's gonna be so cool, it's gonna be so ancient. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, like we've been doing this for 400 years. And it's new to you? Like, and you were here, you were at our church. And and it, it made me so mad. And then the other person was like, you know what, we're just since it's gonna be a small church, we're gonna keep it real simple. We've we've decided that God only calls our people to just worship. And to love and to minister to each other. I'm like, that's our mission statement. And you're leaving our church to go do something else. So, like, I don't have to go back to a week ago to struggle with the very hard edged reality that Jonah struggles with. It's resentment. That's the book of Jonah. I was raised in a church that taught that, that Jonah was about missions. It is not about missions. It's totally not about missions. There's missions in it because there's another place and someone travels. That's about the end of the missions part. I was also, then I kind of got into the, the science part and kind of the, the thing that became big in the book was the fish and how, you know, there's actually, you can look, I spent way too much time finding this just for fun now, that you can like, there are sailors that have lived three days in the belly of a of a whale or something like that. And so that was like, oh man, that's what the book becomes about. The, the plausibility of some of the Old Testament scriptures. That's not what it's about either. It's about a crusty old man that doesn't want to share what God has given him. It's about resentment. It's about the things that belong to Jonah. Jonah saying they're mine. In fact, there's this one, one little in the Hebrew, it's, it's very clear. It's probably a footnote in your Bible 
But the verse 4, or chapter 4, verse 1 says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. It really kind of means this was exceedingly evil to Jonah, and he burned with anger. People believing was exceedingly evil to Jonah. I, I got off Facebook. But I got off Facebook for a lot of reasons. I didn't realize it was going to be the best decision I made in the last 12 months. But when I got off, two things happened. One, a friend of mine, probably like top three, top five best friend in the seminary. And we've had, we've kind of gone about, we kind of disagree on some theological stuff, you know, like everyone does, maybe, I don't know. Top five best friend, top three best friend, I mean, very dear friend of mine. Did a big post that said, I'm praying for all my ministry brothers this Sunday. And this was a long time ago now. I'm praying for all my ministry brothers. You know, you were doing the Lord's work, you're doing all these things. He tagged 94 pastors in it and not me. At the same time, like literally, you know, within the month of that, um, the a band I used to be in was having a big get-together, kind of a welcome home, a celebration, a 20th anniversary. And I got pictures of it on Facebook and then never heard about it. Do you struggle with this? Like, like if you were to say, Reed, tell me what God has done in your life over the last 20 years. I, I, would, I would be able to tell you a number of really good things that God has done in my life. Like, I would, I would rip about three or four of them off really quickly. And then I would start to kind of slow down, you know, because I'd have to start, like, digging a little deeper. And then I'd have to get to, you know, like, the birth of my kids, you know, which is way down here. Um, just kidding. It would be, like, super fast. But, but I mean, like, there would, be, there would be, like, a speed at which I would kind of slow down because I'd have to think a little bit more and meditate a little bit. You know, how has God been good to me? If you ask me, listen, 20 ways that you've been left out. 20 ways that you've been jolted, 20 wrongs that have occurred to you, I could, I, I could, it would be effortless. What have I told you, five, four already? Like, we're like five minutes in, right? Ten minutes in. I, I can do it without question. This is Jonah's problem. Jonah believes that God is him, in his, in his little thing. And so he's kind of like, you know what? I'm a Jew, and I'm clean, and I'm God's chosen, and I'm the one that God loves, and I'm the one that God has a future for, and I'm the one God set apart, and I'm all of this, and he cannot fathom the idea that it might be shared with someone else. He can't fathom the idea that maybe, just maybe, God doesn't want him to be the chosen and him to be the clean. He wants to use him to go out and Choose more and cleanse more. And he, he would rather die. And you say, oh, that's metaphor. He jumped out and he got thrown out of a boat. Like, it's not a metaphor. He really has, you know, he put his money where his mouth was. He said, throw me in. I would rather do that than go to Nineveh. Do you struggle with this? Like, I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one. It's everywhere. Like, Charlottesville. And you're like, I oh, could. You know, I was hoping, you know, what happened in Charlottesville? I know it's, it's like every, it's literally everywhere. I, I, 
I believe, after spending just kind of wrestling through this in my own heart, because this is what Jonah has been about the whole time. Those, those are really racist people, okay? Very racist. Totally racist. Bad stuff happening. But the more, I, I know people that are kind of borderline racist, right? You're from Arkansas. You do too, right? And and. and very few of them hate every black person that they see. They don't. They're not really racial hate groups. I mean, they are. Don't, I'm, not, I'm not saying that. But the KKK, the white nationalists, all that stuff, they're resentment groups. You talk to anybody that's kind of on the fringe of it, and they're not going to tell you, I hate black people and I hate Jews. What they're going to do is they're going to make the Jonah argument. They're going to say, I used to be on top. I used to be favored. I used to be cared for. This used to be my country. I was the one that got to make the decisions. And I was the one that was on the top of the heap. And now these Democrats, they come in here with their identity politics and they talk about this people group, this people group, this people group, this people group, and I'm left out. And I don't like it. I don't like being on the sideline. I want to make the decisions. I don't want my jobs to go to some other country or some other people. I want it to be me. That's resentment. That's Jonah. Just keeping track of all the ways that he's not on top anymore. This is everywhere. This is that prophet that sits there and says, I would rather die than share what I have with other people. And that's exactly, um, that's the ministry of Jesus. I, I have kind of preached, as I've preached through Jonah... I've, I've, real, I've realized, and I, I, nobody said this. I think it's profound, so I've been saying it. It's the prodigal son. It, it, I, I don't know. I, you know, I don't really know what was in Jesus' head all the time, right? But, but I can tell you that I really feel like it's pretty much just the prodigal son is the retelling of the Jonah story. You have this guy who. You know, squanders everything. This is the prodigal son part. And he goes off and he lives with pigs and he's just an idiot, right? You want an idiot? The people in Nineveh, they, they're so, they're wanting to repent. You know what they do? They dress their cattle and their herds in sackcloth and ashes and tell their goats to not eat. They literally make everyone in the city, including the herds and the animals, fat. They're like, no, not today, you know, whatever, Aunt Bessie, cow. Like, no, you're a sinner. And, and they're like, come on, really? Like, to a Jew that's sophisticated, like, are you kidding me? Like, no, we, our herds are not going to fast. And can you just, just picture, you're dressing your cow in sackcloth and ashes. What kind of idiots are these Right? Like, they're supposed to be kind of hilarious. And so that's the same thing as the prodigal son. This guy that's like eating. Well, not, he's not eating pigs. He's watching pigs eating. And like, man, that looks really good. I could go for some of that right now. He is an idiot. And so he comes back and he's not deserving. He comes back to the father and the father says, oh, I'm so glad that you're here. And, and, the, and the older brother, who is Jonah, stands there and is like, uh-uh. 
I'm the chosen. I'm the righteous. I belong. Is that you? It's me. It is absolutely me. And I didn't see this personally in my heart until Jonah. I've, I've been reading a book um, by Henry Nowen. I don't know if we're supposed to say his name. I don't know if that's okay. But um, it's amazing. And it's on the prodigal son. And I can tell you that I'm just I'm going to read this. I don't read quotes uh, much. I would rather my people quote me is what I tell them than to read quotes. But listen to this. It says, when I listen carefully to the words with which the elder son and the prodigal son attacks his father, self-righteous, self-pitying, jealous words, I hear a deeper complaint. It is the complaint that comes from a heart that feels it never received what it was due. It is the complaint expressed in countless subtle and not subtle ways, forming a bedrock of human resentment. It is the complaint that cries out, Listen to this. This is the complaint. I tried so hard, worked so long, did so much, and still I have not received what others get so easily. Why do people not thank me? Why do people not invite me? Why do people not play with me? And why do people not honor me? While they pay so much attention to those who take life so easily and so casually. Do you ever feel like Jonah? Hardened? Embittered? On the sidelines of a world that you feel like you deserve to be on top of? Or in the middle of? And it eats you like a poison. The way out of this is just gospel 101. The, and, and, I, and I can tell you that, that I mean, Jesus, and I, I mean, there's, no, there's not even time to talk about how much this is counter to the gospel. So many of the parables, I mean, the majority of the parables are parables about resentment. You know that parable? This is probably the parable I least like, and I've always disliked it, and now I know why. I'm a resentful jerk. I didn't know that part. I just was like, why? This makes no sense. It's the one where they, the guys work really hard and they get, I don't know, ten talents. And then the people come in at the very end and work very little and they still get the same amount of money. That's bothered me since I became a Christian. Because I work hard and I deserve more. Because I want to be the one to deserve and to explore and to decide and all of the things that go along with that. And the first thing you need to realize, if, if, you, if this resonates with you, the first thing you need to realize is that it is an absolute abomination to feel that way. Absolutely, at its core, there is nothing more anti-gospel than this resentment. And so you may struggle with that. You might be like me and you may just keep this running list of things in your head that, that have wronged you or people. And I'm not like a me. I don't have a voodoo. I'm not like 
really mean, and I'm real passive aggressive, and you never know if I really have been, been jilted. You know, I'm, I'm not good at it. And so I was so good at it that I didn't notice it. But I can tell you that it is it will eat you alive. And the reason why it's so anti-gospel is, if I can just read the most anti-resentment passage ever written in the world, it says, Have this mind among yourselves, Paul says, which is yours in Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of, the, of death, even the death on a cross. You are incredibly lucky that Jesus is not as resentful as you. It is an abomination. Can you imagine? I mean, like, think of like John 17 where Jesus prays in this beautiful prayer where he says, Remember, Father, the glory I had with you before the world was created? Like, he had something like that. And then the other places, you know, where he says, like, he flexes those God muscles, you know, every, every now and then where he says, you know, before Abraham was, I am. And everybody's like, what? Or when did that one moment where they're coming in? I think it's all from John. That one moment where all the people are coming at Gethsemane, and they're like, where's Jesus? And he says, I am he. And, and the next line literally says, and all of the people got back up. That's power. I don't even know. It doesn't even say what happened. But when Jesus said, I'm the one you're looking for, they fell to the... It was like they were shot with lightning and they fall to the ground. And the next line is, they all got back up. <laughs> like no mention of everybody falling all at once. That's power. That's glory. And Jesus saw that you didn't have it. And he decided to share it with you. That's the gospel. That's what Jonah doesn't get. And so that's the first thing is you need to identify it. And then secondly, you need to realize and praise God so much that he forgives it. You need to realize how anti-gospel that is to, to resent people. And then you need to realize that because Jesus wasn't resentful, he saves a lot of resentful people. And so you can be free. And you can actually be known as the resentful jerk that you are. You don't have to justify it anymore. Because that's probably one of the hardest things about resentment is you, you kind of trick yourself and everybody else. You don't have to trick anymore. And the last thing is you just slit his throat. The, the guy on Facebook that left me out, he knew 95 pastors and he only tagged 94. That guy, like, there's a time... To love it. I, I realized at that moment, and this is one of my great fears in life, I realized in that moment that he meant a lot more to me than I probably meant to him. And that is that is embarrassing. It's it's humbling. And I just by the power of the Holy Spirit just let go of that. And I, and, I can, and I can reach out to him. What you don't, you don't reach out and say, hey, by the way, when you tag 94 people and you forgot me, I just want you to know I'm working through a lot and I'm forgiving you for that. People do, people do that, and that is like so shady. Don't be like that. I've had so many people say, hey, I was in Harbury, something. I'm like, 
Get over it, right? Don't tell me. Like my that guy Luke, he's not the sinner. I am. Can you picture how different Jonah would be in the midst of that if he was sitting on the edge and realized, oh man, it's not the Ninevites that are the sinners. I am. Think of the power of that. And his willingness to get off his little crusty bottom and say, you know what? I'm going back in. And I will love them. And I will sit with them. And goodness gracious, they've got to quit putting sackcloth on their cows. Who's going to teach them that but me? I'm going to go. I'm going to let go. That's it. That's how you get out of this huge cesspool of a problem that has imprisoned me for decades. It, It is so simple. To realize that you are living a life that is so contrary to Scripture, even though you feel like you've been out there trying to whack them all, everybody is bad, and you're like super good Christian. To realize that it's you that needs saving is to be filled with God's Spirit because he, this, the business he's in and to walk away from your sin. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you are God. Thank you so much that you're in the business of of this kind of salvation. I pray for you, um, I ask you to forgive us, maybe people like me that just, this is just new. This is new to me and maybe new to them. And I I ask you to to awaken our, our hearts and our eyes and our minds for this. And Lord, I pray that there will be a spirit of confession open up in this body. And that we would fall before you, people that need a Savior more than anyone else out there. And I thank you that that you're doing this kind of work. And I praise you for Jesus Christ. In your name I pray.